0: Richard Dawkins is famous for saying science supports non-belief, but many good scientists, such as Francis Collins, are religious and strongly oppose Dawkins' position. Where do you stand on this question? Welcome to the ReachMD Book Club. I'm Dr. Leslie Lund, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Tanner Eddis. Working in diverse areas from atmospheric modeling with collaborators at Lawrence Livermore National Lab to the philosophy of machine intelligence, Dr. Edis is currently Associate Professor of Physics at Truman State University in Kirksville, Missouri. Fascinated by the plethora of supernatural and fringe science beliefs around him, and concerned about the rise of Islamist politics back in Turkey, Edis first got involved with skeptical inquiry into religious and paranormal claims during his graduate studies has since written and spoken extensively on such subjects, particularly on the topic of anti-evolutionary thought. Welcome to ReachMD.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Dr. Ennis, tell us, do you think science supports non-belief? Well, I guess by and
1: large, yes, I think so. I mean, in the sense that, say, when I'm doing physics, I make no reference to supernatural agents. And my biologist friends, they don't need a divine power to understand life. Now, just a few centuries ago, this would not have been the case, but modern science, as far as I see it, has become a thoroughly naturalistic enterprise. And it goes on. Psychologists and cognitive scientists do without a soul. Sociologists study religious behavior itself without calling on the gods. And really, science has been very successful, and it's also very ambitious. We really do try and explain the whole world as much as we can. And after a certain point, I think it becomes reasonable to suspect that we don't bring in supernatural agents because our world is not, in fact, shaped by any supernatural reality.
0: Now, many scientists hold the view that science has nothing to say about the supernatural one way or another, but the conventional wisdom is that there's no way to prove or to disprove God. Do you disagree?
1: Well, there's a lot in that conventional wisdom that makes sense, but I do have to slightly disagree, yes. I mean, okay, we certainly can't capture a god or an ancestral spirit, lock it in a lab, and do controlled experiments. But then again, there's a lot more to science than what you do with a white lab coat on. I mean, in physics, for example, we try and form some very ambitious sweeping theories about the nature of the universe. And I think it's very significant that no gods appear in these pictures of the universe. And for that matter, I think there's a lot you can do with supernatural claims in the lab as well. I mean, for example, many of your listeners probably know of the active research going on about whether religious beliefs have health benefits. And interestingly, it turns out that the answer is a qualified yes, uh, in that, well, religion may be good for many of us, probably largely because it's very often useful to construct tight-knit communities. But there's also medical research that looks at possible supernatural invention in a much more direct sense, such as there are numerous studies out there of intercessory prayer, And as it happens, there's no clear and convincing evidence for any effect that goes beyond the conventional scientific understanding. But there could have been. Mm. And so in that way, we can sometimes even fairly directly study supernatural claims.
0: Now, if we could set aside fundamentalist religions and ideas such as creationism, would there be any more reason for conflict with science?
1: Well, there certainly would be much less reason for conflict. Most religious concerns, as I see it, they have very little to do with matters of science in that there's very little friction between scientific institutions and the more liberal variety of religious institutions and if you try and look at sort of more of more blatant and well-known cases of mainstream science and religious convictions coming into conflict these almost always have to do with crises like creationism it's almost always have to do with conservative literal-minded religiosity and in fact even my experience in the physics classroom much the same is true For example, I'll occasionally get a student writing on their exam that they disagree with physical cosmology, the Big Bang in particular. And it really is always because of their conservative religious background. And my more liberal religious students, on the other hand, well, I mean, they might be intrigued by, say, difficulties like fitting quantum randomness into their religious perception of reality, but at the end of the day, I mean, this sort of thing is not that important for their faith, so it's not as big an issue. So yeah, if it weren't for the more literal-minded fundamentalist religions science and religion would live and let live much more easily.
0: You know, brings to mind an interesting question, which I doubt you have the answer to, but I'll pose it anyway. I wonder how they teach physics, for example, in your area, in fundamentalist colleges. Do you think it's different being in a physics class in your classroom versus, you know, say, one of the fundamentalist Christian colleges?
1: Well, it probably is, actually, in that, When you look at, say, some of the creationist stuff that's out there, it's most famous for interfering with biology education, but it also has a lot of influence on physics education as well. So that if you were in a really strictly fundamentalist college, the way that they would be dealing with physical cosmology, the notion that the universe is 14 billion years old and so forth, they are not too happy about things like that.
0: what about the many religious people, including scientists, who have no trouble with evolution or anything in science?
1: Well, I mean, good for them. I mean, (laughs) at the end, we'll have some disagreements over what you might call the nature of reality. I might have some interesting arguments with such people, but it'll be a sort of friendly discussion that's actually quite enjoyable. It's only when you come to creationists then maybe other kinds of really strongly committed supernatural religion, that then things maybe have a tendency to get more political and sometimes even nastier. But otherwise, it's not a problem.
0: If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Tanner Edis. We are discussing his book, Science and Nonbelief. In the media, we encounter both claims that many people in science are religious and that most scientists are non-believers. How do you, Dr. Edis, interpret these contradictory statistics?
1: Well, actually, if you're careful about looking at the details of the survey, both are to a certain degree correct. If you want to, say, for example, present a view of scientists being more skeptical of religion, you should design your survey to ask questions to more basic scientists and especially elite scientists. But on the other hand, if you want your survey result to be that many scientists remain quite religious, then what you should do is you should include a broader selection of scientists, especially you should include applied scientists. And actually this brings out a very significant difference between the culture of basic and applied science when it comes to religion. In fact, you see it even among students. When you look at my physics students, they tend to be more skeptical, but my engineering students, who are very similar to physics students, are actually much more likely to be devout, and when I talk to my biology colleagues, they notice that among their sort of straight biology undergraduates who, say, intend to go on to graduate school in biology and so on, they tend to be more skeptical. But when you come to the pre medical student population, who are a good chunk of biology majors, the pre meds are much more likely to be creationists. And it seems that applied scientists, for some reason, tend to be much closer to the general population in their supernatural beliefs compared to natural scientists. Our cultures are different. And in fact, students sort of even select themselves. By the time you're deciding on your career path as an undergraduate, you're probably deciding your sort of religious background is going to have to have an influence on whether you go in a more basic direction or applied direction. I really don't know what to make of it.
0: What do you think about medical and social science research that shows religion is good for us individually and socially? You touched a bit on this earlier.
1: I actually find it quite interesting. Now, naturally, I mean, I'm a physicist. I can't actually judge the quality of the research directly. I have to rely on other people's examinations of the evidence. But I do find it interesting. And in fact, I think much of it seems to be quite valid, as far as I can tell. I tend to see it as an area where science challenges non believers more than religious believers. And the reason for this is well, after all, non believers usually don't just think that the world is purely a natural place without gods and demons, end of story non-believers, say, for example, like Richard Dawkins you mentioned earlier, they also tend to think that we'd all be better off if religion sort of faded away into a past cultural background. And really, it's not clear that this is true. And at least it requires a more complicated argument, I think, The non-believers have made so far. So the medical and social science research is something that challenges non-believers.
0: Just to back up a bit, in case some of our listeners who aren't quite clear what our terms mean, (laughs) by fundamentalist religions, which are the most common of these?
1: Well, it depends on what part of the world you're in. Say, right here in the American Midwest, there are a large variety of fundamentalist Protestant believers, and indeed many very conservative Catholics who you might also sort of generally might be able to call fundamentalists. In much of the world, you'd have to talk about, say, Islamic fundamentalists. And I don't by this mean the sort of stereotype of political violence, mainly just a very sort of conservative, devout, miracle believing, sort of literalist about scripture kind of religious commitment.
0: And how about creationists? What exactly does that mean?
1: Well, creationists, they basically disagree with Darwinian evolution. They tend to be scriptural literalists, whether their scripture is the Bible or the Quran, and they think that the life we see around us, the various different species and so forth, are a result of direct divine intervention rather than as a result of development over many millions of years. You also have sort of, if you want more sophisticated varieties of creationists, like the intelligent design movement that's been gathering steam in the United States for the last 15 years or so. And in some ways, that's more interesting. They tend to be much less of a sort of a scripture-thumping group. They tend to sort of deeply disagree with Darwinian ideas of evolution. I think they're as dead wrong as anyone, but I guess they're more interesting.
0: So what is intelligent design? What do they think?
1: Again, it depends somewhat on which intelligent design proponent you're talking about. But I think the common theme in intelligent design is the notion that if you find creativity in the natural world, something genuinely new and different, that this creativity is something that cannot be due to merely natural processes, such as those that go into Darwinian variation and selection. They believe that if you have the kind of creative novelty, this must be the result of intervention by an intelligence outside of the natural order.
0: Let's move to talk more specifically about your book, Dr. Addis. How did the book itself, Science and Nonbelief, come to be?
1: Well, I've been interested in issues having to do with science and religion for quite a while right now. And I've really been writing books and articles and things like that. But most of what I've done so far has been your sort of typical academic work, if you like, The sort of book that you write, it's mainly for other academics, and its destiny is to gather dust in some university library somewhere. (laughs) So a couple of years ago, I kind of had the opportunity to, somebody approached me, uh, actually a historian of science, that they were putting together a series of books that were addressed to a different audience, to say people at more of a high school or a college level, and needed to write something that was sophisticated and substantial on one hand, but also much more readable, much more accessible. So that project intrigued me, and science and nonbelief really is a result of that. I wanted to write something that, say, one of my students could pick up and read without asking me questions every third paragraph.
0: <laughs> and I think you've definitely accomplished that goal. It's For those of our audience who have not read it yet, it's incredibly thought-provoking. I'm glad you liked it. So thank you so much for being on our show today. You're welcome. We've been discussing the book Science and Non-Belief with its author, Dr. Tanner Addis. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the ReachMD Book Club on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.